If you want warmth, you must stand near the fire. If you want strength, you must withstand the weight. Like raw metal, through force and flame, we are tested. As the hammer falls, we are shaped, bent, made into something new. From scrap to substance, from crude to crafted, with every strike formed and made with purpose. If you want faith, you must be forged, refined by fire. Well, good morning, 9.30. Wow, the 8 o'clock was more awake than you guys. Is that possible? Hey, good morning. I'm uh, T. Lusk, and I'm one of the pastors here at Rolling Hills. And uh, I want to thank you, along with uh, other pastors that have already said it, uh, for being here this morning, uh, for joining together as the church, gathering to worship God through the songs that we sing, through serving, uh, and gathering around his word. And uh, over the past number of weeks, actually this is the eighth week, uh, we've worked through the story of Joseph. And we've kind of come to the, the end of this story in Genesis chapters 36 through, four, through 50. And tonight, today, we're going we're gonna to kind of get that last installment before it kind of wraps up next week. And Pastor Chase is, is going to close it out. But, but God has done some incredible things as I've talked to individuals and, and listened to different conversations. Uh, it seems like God is using the story of Joseph in many of our hearts to forge in us, to create in us a, a new heart that worships and celebrates God's glory and his majesty over our hearts, over our lives, and, and, and just show how God is using all things in order to make us, like, make us who he wants us to be. And this morning, as we kind of, again, make, make that next step in the story of Joseph coming to the end, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 45 is kind of the, the main part of it. We'll go through 47 uh, this morning. Last week, if you were here, it was a great week. Pastor Jeff left us uh, really on a, on a cliffhanger, right? He came into this pivotal moment in the life of Joseph. Where, where, this, where, where things had come to a head and, and we had to ask ourselves the question, what was he going to do? And I don't know about you, but I was in the 11 o'clock and I was listening to him and he got to that point and I was like, oh, I can't wait for next week. Right? And then I remembered I was preaching. I was like, oh gosh. I told him after he wrapped up, I was like, I keep telling myself not to mess this up, right? There's so much here, and, and, and it's so exciting to kind of get to this pivotal moment in the story of Joseph and what happens here for us. And, and I want to take a step back and just kind of remind us a little bit of what happened in the past couple weeks as we come to this pivotal moment in Joseph's life and ask how he would respond. Because it's this slave boy who is the favorite son of his father, Joseph. Father Jacob, who's been sold into slavery by his brothers. He's ended up in prison. And now he finds himself the second most powerful man in the most powerful and important country in all of the world. And he's standing in front of the brothers who had such a hatred in their heart and a disregard for his life that they would sell him into slavery and hope to never see him again. 
In chapter 43, which we covered last week, what happens is that Joseph has this meal with them. They've come back for a second time after even their father didn't want them to come back. And they've come back for a second time. And he has this meal with them and he sets them in birth order, which kind of makes them think, like, what's going on here? He doesn't eat with them because it, would be, it wouldn't be right for him to eat with them. And then he sends them off. In chapter 46, what, what, what happens, or excuse me, in, in 44, what happens is before he sends them off with grain, because remember they're there because there's a famine in the land and, and they needed food, he sets his cup, the silver cup that Joseph would have drank out of, inside the pack of Benjamin, his youngest brother, the only other brother of Rachel, his mother. And the brothers go off back to their homeland thinking everything is fine. But in the process, the guards go and they, they stop this caravan of brothers going back to Jacob, their father. And they say, there's a missing cup from the, from the palace that's Joseph's cup and we believe that you have it. They're like, no way we have it. But then they search the packs and the, there it is found in Benjamin's pack and the brothers are absolutely distraught. Benjamin, or Benjamin, Benjamin is again the favorite child now that Joseph's gone of his father, Jacob. And, and these brothers say, there's no way. We can't go home. We cannot go home without our brother Jake, without our brother Benjamin. Joseph's already gone. Our, brother would sure, our, our father would surely die if we go home without him. And they stand back before him. They come back before Joseph. And I can imagine... That in this moment, Joseph has that scrapbook of memories rolling through his head. Of that time when he was in a pit, after he'd come to check on his brothers at his father's command, he'd gone to check on these brothers, and, and they had in their hearts to end him, and they threw him in a pit. And, and rather than killing him, which they were going to do, they sold him for a buck. And they watched as he traveled off, yelling and screaming, hoping that they would have grace and mercy on him. And now they stand before him. And the question of what will he do? And what we see as we turn the page of chapter 45 is this, that, as, that Joseph has orchestrated this moment with his brothers not to finish them off, but to forgive them. That he's masterfully orchestrated this moment for them to come back into the palace not to finish them off, but to forgive them. And I want to pick up the story there in chapter 44 where we kind of left off yesterday. And what we'll see as we work through this is that the forgiveness that Joseph offers his brothers is shocking, it's scandalous, it's redemptive, and it brings restoration. It's shocking, it's scandalous, it's redemptive, and it brings restoration. Again, picking up in 44, it says this, that Judah in verse 18 went to him, meaning Joseph, and he says, pardon your servant. My Lord, let me speak to you a word. Don't be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord, you asked a question, do I have a father or a brother? And Judah begins to humbly explain what's going on at their home, how this child, Benjamin, is the favored son of his father, this other son that from this same mother has, has already died. And he cannot go home without his brother. He says in verse 33, Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return to his, with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. 
And in the moment, chapter 44 closes, 45 opens, Joseph is overwhelmed by Judah's move. Judah had been the brains behind Joseph being sold to the pack of slave traders that were coming by when he was in the pit. It was Judah's voice that said, why would we, why would we take his life? Rather, why don't we just sell him? We'll make a profit. And in this moment, he stands between the brother and Joseph and says, I'm not going back without him. I'll stay here. In verse 45, or chapter 45, we're going to read through the first 15 verses here. It says this, that Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all the attendants, he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's house heard about it. Verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But the brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to the brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said to them, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save the lives, save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's, there's been a famine in the land and for, five, for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping, but God has sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by great deliverance. Verse eight, so then it is not you who sent me here, but God He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of the entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen near me. You, you, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all that you have, I will provide for you there. Because five years of famine is still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Verse 12, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything that you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. And then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And then he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked to him. Joseph has orchestrated this moment, this pivotal moment in his life, not to end the lives of his brothers, but to forgive them. And the forgiveness that he offers these 11 brothers who sold him into slavery, who were, the, who were the reason why he had gone through all of the trials and imprisoned and all of those things that he had walked through, that he, this forgiveness that he extends to them, to these scoundrels, is shocking, it's scandalous, it's redemptive, and it brings restoration. And there's two things that I really want to focus on in the time that we have this morning. It's this. First, I want to do my best to put Jesus as the hero of this story. 
that Jesus is the hero and we are the ones in need of experiencing the impact of forgiveness. Joseph forgives them and the impact on their lives is incredible. And ultimately this story is about Jesus and we're the ones who need to experience the impact of forgiveness. And secondly, as we close, I wanna ask this simple question, how has God forged you for forgiveness? How is God forging in you forgiveness? Are there people who have hurt you deeply that you need to extend grace to because grace has been extended to you? What would it look like and what would be the impact of that forgiveness on your own heart and the lives of others? So starting with Jesus as the, as the hero and our need for experiencing forgiveness, the impact of forgiveness, what do we mean? These 11 brothers are in great need. Their lives hang in the balance because of a famine that's, that's come upon the land. And according to them, that's the big problem. Famine. They need food. But that's not why they're in Egypt. That's why they think they're in Egypt, but why they're in Egypt is because God is orchestrating something through their brother that they had sold 20 years before into slavery. And what we see is beyond the famine that the sin that they committed those 20 years before has wrecked their lives. You see it in chapter 42 as they talk about Joseph being sold and they argue about selling him and how they bring punished because of what they've done. For 20 years, they've had to cover this sin. Every time they see their father mourn the life of his son who was taken too far too early, they have this pit in their stomach knowing that they're the reason their father mourns. Every time they gather at the table as, as a big family for a birthday party, I'm sure that, that the, the Israelites celebrated birthdays like us, right? There's a spot where nobody's sitting and they have that pit in their stomach knowing that they're the reason that Joseph's not there. They were in Egypt because of a famine, but ultimately God was about to do something in their hearts to forgive them of a sin that they had committed 20 years before, that they had done their best to push back. Listen to me, no matter what, sin has a way of always finding us out that none of us have the resources, no matter what we have available to us to hide our sin that we think we've covered it up, but Jesus tells us, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews, that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before, his, before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Jesus himself says it. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out in the open. It's a terrifying reality for all of us a terrifying reality, again, that, that even with the, all of the options, all of, of the resources available to us, what we think we might have hidden is open, if only to the Lord. And when God exposes himself, when, he got, when God shows who he is to us, it terrifies us. It's exactly what happens to the brothers here. Joseph says, I'm your brother. And he asks a question, is my father still alive? And it says that they are terrified and they don't give him an answer. They're struck speechless. I mean, wouldn't you think that in this moment, this brother that they haven't seen for 20 years, they would jump and run and hold his neck and, and kiss him and hug him and love him. But they know that their sin has, has found them out. 
Famine was the farthest thing from their mind in this moment. They were desperate and in need, knowing that Joseph had every right to do whatever he wanted to and all the power. Charles Spurgeon says this about this passage. He says, the brothers were not only overwhelmed with their guilt, but conscious that they were in Joseph's absolute power, that he could do according to his good pleasure to awaken to the awakened sinner This is also a part of his misery, that he is entirely in the hands of the very Christ that he has despised. That God in his grace, listen, he exposes to us our sin. When he reveals who he is, we see our sin and we see in contrast his holiness and it's terrifying. shocking. God's holiness, who God is, his identity to us is shocking, and his identity, the identity of Joseph to these brothers who had committed such a horrific sin against this brother of theirs was shocking. And when we see God for who he is and are shocked by his holiness, it leads us to a much greater appreciation of his scandalous grace. God's grace is scandalous. Joseph doesn't get back at them. He forgives them. Even though they don't deserve forgiveness, even though they haven't earned forgiveness, they couldn't earn forgiveness, but Joseph extends forgiveness to them, to the brothers who had sold him. And what he says in verse 4, after, after asking the question and seeing that they're terrified and they don't run to him or, or answer his question, he says, come close. He invites these scoundrels to come close to him, to draw near to him. It's scandalous the grace that he extends them. Each one of us this morning need to be reminded that we're not the hero of the story. What we want to do is we want to put ourselves in the place of Joseph, and certainly there's the application of extending forgiveness to others that we'll get to in a second, but, but we are, in this story, we're the brothers. We're the scoundrels who have committed a great sin, who have experiencing the scandalous grace of a God who is perfect and holy, inviting us in to relationship that we could not earn and we do not deserve. God's grace is scandalous. We've committed the greatest offense against a holy and a perfect God when we rejected him and tried to, uh, tried to live life on our own for, and for our own glory. It was my sin that nailed Jesus to the Roman cross. Much like it was these brothers' sins who sent Joseph into slavery in Egypt. So what makes God so, God's grace so scandalous is that he would accept rebellious and broken sinners and traitors, that he would invite us to come close. And the impact of God's forgiveness, this, his shocking holiness and scandalous grace is that there's a redemption that brings comfort because he's purchased our lives with his own. 
God's redemption is comforting. Look at verse 5 through 8. There's these incredible words of Joseph that are bringing comfort to his brothers. He says, don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Skip to verse 7. He says this, but, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and save your life from a, by a great deliverance. Verse 8, so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God that made, the fa- made me father of Pharaoh and lord of the entire household, ruler of Egypt. What's happening here? What's happening here is that Joseph is exposing, Joseph is, is opening us up to the reality that long before this moment, he had forgiven them. That God had used the pit and the prison to forge in him forgiveness. That when this moment came, he was able to extend the grace that these men did not deserve. That he saw that God was doing something that he couldn't have done on his own. That God had given him a dream of a day when his brothers would bow down to him when he was just a 17-year-old boy. But God was going to use this story of his brothers selling him into slavery to bring about what that dream had promised. And But that dream was not about his own glory. It was about the salvation of many. What it points us to for, for in two ways. One, it points us to the fact that, that just like the words of the prophet Isaiah, that no weapon formed against us will prosper or prevail. Listen, if you are a child of God, if you have put your faith in Christ, if you believe Jesus, repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, then you're a child of God and his promises are true that no weapon, no harm that anybody has planned against you will prosper. The brothers in in their greatest attempt to end Joseph's life, to get rid of him forever, was all a part of God's hand. Their works could not prosper against Joseph because Joseph was in the sovereign hands of God. And what they meant for harm, God would use for their salvation. And we've got to see the same thing happened as we stood with the crowds in Jerusalem yelling alongside those who wanted Christ's life, crucify him. That it was, it was my sin, it was my voice that yelled, crucify Christ. And, and God used even my sin and my words when, I was, when, when we would take Christ to the cross for my salvation. That it was my sin that sent Christ to the cross and where Christ laid down his life on that cross, he did it on his own accord. And he bought my life, gave me life, abundant, and restored it completely. Shocking holiness of God meets the scandalous grace of, of, of God and the comfort of the redemption. It shows us a complete restoration In verse 9, the rest of the story, Joseph tells tells the brothers to go get dad and bring him back, bring all of their stuff back. He's going to give them a land that they can live in. They'll live alongside him. He'll take care of them. He had gone and prepared a place for them. 
They come back. It says 66 in all moved to Egypt to be with Joseph. In 40, chapter 46, Jacob hears from God. And he again affirms that this was all a part of God's plan to, to reaffirm or to bring about the covenant that he had made with Abraham, with Isaac, and in Jacob. The whole family moves there. And in the closing, chap, closing verses of chapter 46, it says these words, that now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. And they acquired property, and they were fruitful and increased greatly in number. This is a striking statement. Because it goes back not only to, to Genesis chapter 12, where God tells Abraham that he's going to bring him to a place and they're going to grow as a nation, but it goes all the way back to when God puts two individuals, a man and a woman named Adam and Eve in a garden, and he gives them this mandate to be fruitful and multiply. And through this incredible story of sinful, rebellious, wicked brothers sending their brother on into slavery, God is fulfilling the promise that he made there that they would be fruitful and multiply, but it would be in a land far away from where they started. God was using this whole story to bring about his story. This isn't a story about 11 knucklehead brothers it's a story about God shaping history to bring about his purposes. And this morning, we need to see this. We need to understand God's great grace and mercy, scandalous that he would forgive us, that he would redeem us and restore us, and that when he restores us, he makes us new. He gives us new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, that, that therefore anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, that the old has gone and the new is here. The impact of the forgiveness that we have is so clear, it's overwhelming, that Christ forgives and redeems enemies and traitors by a scandalous grace, paying the penalty with his own life and restoring the relationship that we had shattered and broken and calls us friends. That Christ's forgiveness and redemption, Christ forgives and redeems orphans, excuse me, by, by his scandalous grace, by himself being rejected by the Father to restore us into the family and make us children of God. That God redeems and forgives those who are far away from Christ and lost by a scandalous grace, by himself leaving the comforts of his home to pursue those who had rejected him. And even though he came to us and we didn't recognize him, that when we repent, he restores us and grants us access to the Father that we might come to him with boldness and find the grace that we need and the confidence that he hears us when we pray. Christ redeems those who are thirsty and starving by his scandalous grace and restores us, satisfying us with living water and bread of life that we would hunger and thirst no more. It's complete. He's made you new. He's restored you into the family. He's satisfied your hunger and your thirst. And I believe it's important for us to start by looking at Christ and seeing Christ as the hero. That his forgiveness goes before our forgiveness. That we can forgive because he's forgiven us. 
that we can love others because he's loved us first. And so that brings us to the question as we see God's grace, scandalous grace to rescue wicked sinners, restore us and redeem us, how is he forging in you forgiveness? What is the story that he's working in you to forgive those who may have hurt you and harmed you deeply? What would it look like for your own heart for you to forgive those who have hurt you? And what would, it, what would the impact of forgiveness be on their lives? What I'd like to do is try to kind of give some application. I'd like to give us a couple of different points and how we can do that. But I, but I believe that there's a story that, that will do it much better. A story of one of our own family who have experienced forgiveness and shared that impact of forgiveness with others. And so I want to invite you to watch this video of interview Pastor Jeff with Leo and Rebecca as they share their story of forgiveness. Uh, Leo and Rebecca, thanks so much for taking time to share with us today. Um, you know, as, as a family, you guys walked through a, a really um, terrible tragedy. And can you just tell us a little bit about that and what happened several years ago? We have three children. Uh, Aaron is our oldest and Megan's our middle daughter and then Melody's our youngest. And Megan and I went on a road trip. We were coming back. We were an hour from home and um, my back was hurting me. I hadn't let her drive the whole way. We were just having fun the way we were. Um, but I stopped, uh, I pulled over an hour away from home and asked her to drive. And um, she got in the driver's seat and we buckled up and we took off. This was about four in the morning, and um, there were no cars on this little county highway. And out of nowhere um, comes an SUV, and we didn't make it an um, we didn't make it a mile and a half down that road before we were hit head on by a drunk driver. And uh, Megan, at that last minute, had turned the wheel and took the brunt of the hit. And so her whole side of the car was missing and we were thrown off the road and spun and um, and her seat had become in the back seat and she was on the floor and out of the car and um, in the very seat that I was just in. And um, I started trying to help her and realized I couldn't move. My seatbelt was locked in place, but that I was injured. And I really thought that um, God would take me at this point because it was so obvious that she was now gone. And even though I was praying, breathe, baby, breathe, um, when I saw the full picture, I thought what mother would want her child to have to survive that. And I stopped praying later in the hospital that I had had seven broken ribs and bruised and whatever um, and that's why I couldn't move and help her but God gave me arm's length to my daughter's face and I was able to just brush her hair and tell her that I'm sorry what emotions did you guys go through I mean during that whole time what, what was on your heart what was on your mind you know, for me, I got the call that morning uh, around 4.30, and I really thought that I just misunderstood when she said, you know, and it didn't really hit me until we got into the, um, 
until I got to the hospital and and then especially just you know identifying the body and stuff it was just a plethora of emotions and and you know Jeff it's you've walked with the Lord for over 30 years you've got these things rooted in your heart uh, and then all of a sudden there are things in your mind you know vengeance stuff anger and um, and so there's a huge con confliction happening. And uh, I even mentioned to Rebecca, I feel schizophrenic because I just, I know in my heart, um, you know, the truth and, you know, the, all of, you know, all of the, all of the things of the Lord. And then all of a sudden my mind is just, you know, raging with all this other stuff. But early on, I knew that just by, by how God had raised us, that we had to forgive. You know, how did you guys come to the point to even talk about forgiveness? Um, in in the middle of the hearings, we just agreed that we were going to forgive Joe, and that's not long after that when we started praying too. For because you want to see purpose, something purposeful come out of something like this, and we started praying for Joe that that you know we can't change the consequences of what happened, but we can. process of forgiveness impact you personally and then impact your relationship with God? I mean, I knew, and for me, I knew my faith demanded that I forgive, whether I wanted to or not, whether my heart wanted to or not. I had no option. Matthew, Mark, Luke, I mean, the whole New Testament, it says, forgive or you will not be forgiven. And it's that plain. The Lord's Prayer, I've prayed since a little girl, you know, it says, you know, help me to forgive for, so that I can be forgiven. I mean, you know, you pray those things and all of a sudden those truths start coming to you and it, it doesn't matter how dark things are or how, you know, how your soul is just screaming, you know, for, for the human side of you and the pain and the sorrow and just all the anguish. It's like those truths are there and, and they're there for a purpose. And, and so I knew in my heart if I didn't forgive, like, I wanted nothing separating me from God. I needed God more than I ever did. So some push away, I was clinging so tightly. And I knew forgiveness could not be one of those things that separated me. And so daily, hourly, moment by moment, you know, crying out for my daughter, I was like, God, I still am going to put myself in a posture to forgive. And I believe at some point it's going to happen because I don't feel it. I don't feel it, God, I don't feel it. And it took about a year for me to be able to even say Joe's name, the other driver. And in that year though, God showed me, I mean, just like a veil was lifted one day with a happening, something that happened. And I said, oh my gosh, God did it. And my God could change this messed up, wounded heart. He did it. I have forgiven this man. What's been the result? Like, you know, when you finally forgave Joe, when you came to that point, what, what impact did that make on him? What impact did that make on you um, in that process? I learned from my therapist, wonderful um, woman, that said, you've got to be able to understand and separate. Anger is not the same as unforgiveness. And so every time I'd get angry, and I still do, but that anger, 
can be righteous if it comes from a righteous place, from a righteous heart. The other part of how this uh, being, you know, forgiving helped us, honestly, Jeff, it put us in a position. If you if you're forgiving, then just like the scripture says, if if you forgive, then you'll be forgiven. By doing that, the biggest benefit for I think for us was just being able to hear God's voice clear to be to go through a storm like this. I mean. I don't know how we would have made it without God leading us through it. And how ridiculous is it for us to do the very things that cut off his voice when you need it most, you know? So that was another thing about just, we knew that we needed to forgive, but more importantly, we knew that if there was gonna, the only way we're gonna survive this is if God led us through it. And the, the way he was gonna lead us through it was for us to forgive. Leo, Rebecca, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I know that's not easy, um, but I just want to thank you for modeling for us what it means to forgive. Uh, you know, it's one thing to talk about it, it's another thing to live it. And um, so many times this uh, can divide people from the Lord and people push away from God or people push away in their marriage. Um, but you guys have modeled for us how to, how to walk through one of the hardest tragedies known to man. And uh, yet draw close to God and find your strength in Him and to love each other. And so as a pastor of our church, um, leaders in our church, I just want to say thank you because you've modeled that for me and my family and, uh, and for everybody at Rolling Hills and we love you. And so thank you for teaching us how to forgive. Thank you, Leo and Rebecca, for sharing your story. Uh, I can't imagine how difficult it is to relive it. Um, but I'm thankful for the story and the way that they share because the impact of forgiveness is so clear on their own lives. They recognize so clearly that they've been forgiven. And when they forgave, it wasn't because they wanted to, it was because God's word commands us to. And the impact in their lives is, is that they saw forgiveness as a necessity for them to hear God's voice. And they did. They heard God's voice. And God was faithful to them even when they forgave somebody that they really could have not forgiven. So I don't pretend to walk through their shoes or any of your shoes. I don't, I don't want to act like what's happened to you or what, what you've walked through is easy. But I know the God who forgives us has called us to forgive, not because it was easy, not because we were worthy of being forgiven, but because of his grace. The impact for them is they got to hear God's voice. They got to see God's comfort and joy, even in the midst of suffering. And you know what else? You know the other aspect of, their, of that forgiveness? Is that Joe, that young man who, took the life of their daughter, got to experience a new life in Christ. Because he himself experienced forgiveness from them. And it made him try to figure out what, what this was all about. Because of that, Christ rescued him. He didn't deserve it. 
but neither do I. How is God forging in you forgiveness? What would it look like for you to forgive someone who's hurt you deeply? Where does that forgiveness come from other than the forgiveness that we ourselves have experienced? That those who have been forgiven much would forgive much. Could the impact be more than just on us, but on nations, on families and generations? I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to pray and sing one song just to close that celebrates God's amazing grace, the grace that he extended to us to forgive us who are sinners. Let this be our anthem, our song that that carries us from this week and, and points us to God's faithfulness to forgive and to rescue us, to redeem us and restore us, that we would be able to, we would be faithful to share that redemption and rescue and, re- and re- restoration with those in our lives, even if they don't deserve it. Pray with me. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy and the way that you have taken care of us, that you have, you have rescued us and restored us even when we were far away from you, when we had committed such great sin and run away from you, Lord, that you've forgiven us What a good God, gracious God. And Father, I pray that this song as we close this evening or this morning would be a declaration of that grace. And Father, it would spur us on to understanding your grace, but to also giving your grace, to understanding your forgiveness that you've given to us and to giving forgiveness to others that have hurt us and harmed us because we know that you are forging in us this forgiveness. Lord, thank you. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray.